deep fake Pastor Mark here. I will turn the show over to Restless in just a second, but I wanted to take a moment and wish all of their listeners a happy Valentine's Day. If you're watching this video, would you click the like button? Or if you're listening on the podcast, write review it for them. They would really appreciate it. And anyways, just to be clear, Charlie Self is a real person, and this is not the human Mark Driscoll who lives in Arizona. This is the deep fake Pastor Mark who lives on the Restless podcast. Thank you, deep fake Pastor Mark. And this is Restless. Pastor Michael, that, that low-fi mood music can only mean one thing. It's Valentine's Day. It's Valentine's Day. We're here, and what a special surprise to have Deep Fake Pastor Mark jump in. <laughs> that was there. That was something else. He's here. We're here. Pastor Michael, Valentine's Day is kind of the day for the Restless Podcast. It's a special day where we discuss a special topic. I went back and listened to our first Valentine's Day special today. Um, that was also the first time we ever reviewed a Gospel Coalition video. Isn't that wild? <laughs> that was our first time. That these, was our really first one. Yep. We, we make a big point of that. Um, these two fresh-faced guys saying, like, you know, they are going to say something helpful for sure in this video. <laughs> and they, they kept waiting. They kept waiting. Um, and that is where the, the puerile giggling of feral docs fame came in that's all where it these, began that's right that's where it all <laughs> began and so we are continuing the valentine's day tradition here on the restless podcast and this Matt, time your audio is a little bit funky it is it's a little bit weird Tell maybe me it's what? just me it sounds like it's kind of coming in and out almost i it could be that i'm leaning in and out so let me try and get this closer how am i sounding now it's maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people should put in the chat if you hear it too. Maybe it's just me, but it just sounds a little bit. Uh, we move something, know. and so, all right, we are waiting. We'll we'll wait and see if anybody has anything to say. Um, if they think my oh, well. is weird, yeah. I mean, I don't know. All I can say is I hear me, <laughs> which is not not a lot of help. <laughs> we, It'll probably be fine. We hope so. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, with that note though, I am gonna click record on my end in case something very bad happens and uh, we are just posting audio later in case no one can see. So, we're so happy to be here and Pastor Michael, in that, in our first ever Valentine's Day special, you mentioned you don't really celebrate Valentine's Day, that you are, and I quote, just practical people. Yeah, this is true. Um, my wife actually isn't even here. I will get to see her because she's on her way home right now, but she's been traveling. It's actually why my background is different because I decided to work from home today so that I would have an extra couple hours when I have a meeting tonight, I'd have an extra hour to probably with my family uh, once they do get home. So that's a nice Valentine's Day thing. That is. To be with them. But as far as like, you know, doing special things, you know, maybe we'd use it as an excuse for something, but up to this point, it's true. We don't really do anything. Well, and I know everybody who listens is going to say, oh, that's like you're failing your wife. Like your wife really wants you to do something and you just don't. It's just you. 
No, my wife is maybe more practical than I am. She's maybe less into Valentine's Day than I would be. So we will ask deep fake Pastor Mark this question sometime. So, <laughs> um, but Pastor Michael, we have got to get to work here because the tradition that the Restless podcast is very committed to, no matter how practical you and your family may be, we here are big Valentine's Day people because we are big complementarian people. And so our Valentine's Day tradition is to watch live clips of um, preferably uh, young, restless, and reform folks discussing complementarianism and specifically the the commands in First Timothy two. Pastor Michael, what what is the what is the apparent command that we we get so much joy out of discussing? <laughs> so for some reason, we've decided to make this our Valentine's Day tradition. Um, where Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 that uh, he does not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, uh, but rather she is to remain quiet. And so we have watched for the last two years. This is our third annual, third annual Valentine's Day show where we get to listen to somebody try to explain that um, in some way that we find enjoyable. <laughs> That's right. And I still look homeless, as I was told by after our last live stream, and we are <laughs> ready to go. So this year, unfortunately, Pastor Michael, as we continue to have to find these clips, I found a wonderful panel discussion from TGC, a conversation about complementarianism wow. with a motley crew of, of the who's who of the YRR. We have one... Timothy Keller, one John Piper, we have Don Carson, we have um, Kathy Keller, Tim Keller's wife, we have the, I don't remember her name, but she is the uh, head of the Gospel Coalition for Women, because um, of because of course, there's one for women, it's just a funny, kind of a fun, maybe I put it in a funny way, uh, maybe that's not how they really say it, <laughs> um, and so the the only problem with this video which any which anyone watching the video of this uh reaction knows is that it is a long video and as much as i am i'm down for the live stream we can't keep practical people on the live stream all night long here <laughs> to do the whole thing and so i have had to pull clips i have had to pull some clips but the clips Pastor Michael will be reacting to live. He knows nothing about what's coming in this video. And so um, it's, true. it's possible. When was this? It's this possible. I saw it back in the day, but um, I don't I don't recognize it. So we'll find out if there was ever a, a TGC YRR kind of clip you would be unlikely to see. It would probably be this one because this was the pre-conference event for the Gospel Coalition for Women's. 2014 conference and so this is uh yeah so this is our these are our people and they are they are discussing it so they began their uh pre-conference event for women with three pastors these three men which um i know is one of the things that the uh the complementarians often get flack for <laughs> that they just end up loading stuff with men um we obviously don't have a problem with that in the same way but I think we will enjoy it. And so the the um, interview begins, the conversation, the panel begins with 
everyone telling the story of how they came to hold complementarian convictions. So, Pastor Michael, maybe you and I can share those things after we uh, after we hear a few of these. But they start with Tim Keller. In the conference, so when you open next year's national conference, I want you to tell all the participants that they're beautiful. <laughs> I, you you may remember that last year I can't. Sorry, this is a this is I we cut into this mid joke. Uh, <laughs> they had a you know they had a plenary session where one of the women speakers, her first words were, you are all so beautiful. And Tim Keller really got a kick out of it and was <laughs> daring Don Carson to start that way. I'm comfortable saying everyone on the live stream is is truly beautiful. Y'all shine like beautiful stars. I remember who it was, but somebody posted some kind of list of differences between men's conferences and women's conferences. It was outrageously funny. Right. Um, right. Maybe we've just had another one. Yeah, that's one. Of course, the women's conferences, people actually read what it says they should That's do true. And, yeah. and actually Dude, good for them having a nice roast i thought we were starting with tim <laughs> keller's story but it's i guess it's nice we we kept the road goes to the places where That's they're right. supposed to go and That's right. tim was coming with astounding. me out of something we were doing this morning and he said where are we going next <laughs> uh the, the 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 way to answer the question historically how did you get here is that um, I became a Christian in college, which, by the way, is a long time ago, in the 1960s. Uh, when I went off to uh, Gordon-Conwell immediately after college to study for the ministry, Gordon-Conwell was an evangelical seminary, a good conservative evangelical seminary, with different uh, positions on this subject represented amongst in the faculty. So I got a chance to hear um, the, the various views. I didn't have a, uh, in a certain sense, I didn't have anything from my background that would necessarily prejudice me one way or the other. I sat down with the scripture and I thought it was clear that the, uh, that the under, back, back then the word complementarian was not there. The understanding that there's male headship in the home and in the church, that our gendered humanity is complementary to what to, we're complementary to one another. We have to work those out through different roles. I accept that that because it seemed so clear from the scripture it just it didn't seem that the argument was close uh then i met kathy and uh kathy's own background and she's going to explain in a minute uh strengthened my resolve in this area um the only other thing to say is i was really glad that kathleen read that that part of the document obviously uh the three of us uh you know john don and i and others worked on that some years ago and one of the questions came up was why put that in a gospel coalition? This is a great question. Um, so, Pastor Michael, I want to say one thing before we we listen to Tim Keller's answer. Um, I think Tim Keller's story of why he is a complementarian is, I mean, is pretty close to mine, right? It is the fact that when you read the plain teaching of Scripture, the opposing arguments to male headship in the home and um at you know male and female and their you know men and women's roles being different and therefore they're expressed differently in the home and the church is pretty much inarguable right and it's not even close yeah yeah i mean we talked about this when we did the little preview show talking uh, about andy sanley that in fact to deny this you actually just have to start explaining away scripture right you can't just accept it as it's clearly written. 
Um, and it's, it's on almost every page, right? I mean, it's just everywhere from the beginning to the very end. Um, this is central to uh, much of what the Bible talks about. And to not understand this um, or to try to you know, obfuscate on this point just leads you into all kinds of problems in other areas. Um, I know I can't you know, remember, uh, I think it was Legan Duncan who I first uh, heard say, you, know, you never find second generation uh, biblical inerrantists who are egalitarian, right? Like uh, second generation egalitarians, I should say, um, are never biblical inerrantists because you have to just start throwing parts of the scripture out and you have to start being able to say, well, some of this is not actually authoritative. So you have to start denying certain sure. aspects of biblical inerrancy. And so um, I think that's generally true. Um, maybe not um, in every single case, but but definitely generally true because you're explaining away, not ex just explaining the text. Right. And so, again, I think this next thing he's going to answer is, why did the Gospel Coalition specifically add to its statement of faith a statement about the roles of men and women? Statement, you know, why is that part of the Gospel Coalition statement? I think the, the balanced answer is, on the one hand, we do not believe that uh, gender roles is one of, the gospel, one of the doctrines that makes up the, the core of the Gospel. We do not believe that you have to believe that in order to be saved or believe the gospel. On the other hand, we feel that the implications of moving away from what seems to be clear teaching of Scripture, uh, that when you make that move, it, it, it has a ripple effect into how you read the Scripture in other ways. And we didn't think, therefore, it was uh, a matter indifferent. So we put it in there, and we've gotten a certain amount of heat for it. Uh, sometimes we're, we're told... Uh, you seem to think that in order to believe the gospel, you have to be a complementarian. We would not say that, but we also don't want to go on to the other, to the other extreme and say that this, that this set of beliefs doesn't have pretty strong implications for how you live the Christian life. So that's why I'm here. Third way. Third <laughs> way. We, we hold the middle position. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, but again, I do think, this is it's an interesting point what an interesting point that you can put things in a statement of belief or perhaps even in a book of church order that the scripture does cover but you want to map a clear statement on um that's a yes. that is an interesting idea but it is great it is a classic <laughs> way to express it in the third way i think that again the the reason this becomes such a hot issue is because it is it ends up just being the question of, will you submit to whatever the scripture says? Because the way you have to handle these texts to conclude something else does not allow you to conclude anything from the Bible if you do so. Yeah. Um, we are not going to listen to how uh, Kathy Keller became a complementarian, though, if you are so interested, this video, she gives a short story. It's very interesting. She was in the PCUS and was on her way to ordination when she began studying the issue and realized how unbiblical uh, it would have been for her to continue. And so um, props to her, you know, for making that uh, making that move. But Pastor it's interesting, Michael, by the way, I should say that, like, compared to when you think about um, the recent article, uh, that kind of manifesto, in a sense, that Tim Keller just put out, um, 
which we will cover, which eventually we'll probably get to. Um, the tone in that regarding this issue versus what he just said here is very different. Uh, it seems to me anyway. Um, it seems to me that in that, he seems to take a much softer view on uh, the issue of egalitarianism and uh, makes it seem much more like, actually, this is not an issue that maybe at this time he would have said, yep, this still mm. should divide us in a certain way. Mm. Uh, he's maybe softened on that, it seems like. And this is the, this is, you know, I think what we've seen on a whole scale, right, is that Mm -hmm. um ground that they were willing to stake out um they have it's decreased so um pastor michael we are about to listen to john piper how he became a complementarian are you prepared for the level of earnestness we are about to be uh, uh <laughs> whatever it may be it will be passionate yep gutters and paint it's gonna all come off otherwise it's gonna chip underneath i learned everything from this woman she ran a little <laughs> business on the side she speaking about his mother Kept all the finances of the family. She was better than my dad at virtually everything except preaching. And <laughs> when when he came home, and so so when he was gone, she was just everything, absolutely everything. There wasn't anything she couldn't do. And um, when he came home to watch the drama shift to my dad, let's go to church, let's go to the restaurant. Let's bow for prayer. Let's have devotions. Let's, 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 let's. He's doing the letsing and she's loving it. She's just loving it. Daddy's home. And I'm not buried. John Piper loves his mom, by the way. Just to just to be clear, that that is coming across clearly. <laughs> anymore. Take it, Bill, and make this family work. So he's he's loving it and she's loving it, which taught me that the drama of complementarianism is not competency based it's just not it has nothing to do with who's better at what that's the way egalitarians try to figure out marriage if you're better at this you do this if you're better at this and they try to leave sexuality out of it whereas the bible says no something stamped on a man's heart and on a woman's heart that the, that the way they dance together is uh, defined in a certain way so that that's the most fundamental influence 1975 paul jewett's book so my family has come near me to play with Legos. So uh, if you hear <laughs> wonderful Lego sounds in the background, that is that's all right. You're getting to enjoy. So Pastor Michael, I don't know. It just uh, he, there's he still has a little more to say. It just struck me as kind of a straight. It just was a. It was. I mean, again, it's very earnest. It's very all over the place. Um, but it did strike me as a bit of a strange story. Um, in what way? Just because of like you're giving your reasons for well this or would you agree the complementarianism has nothing to do with competency yeah that is weird right well so this is actually where i'm sure that we'll see some of this here and we see it every time we have you know discussed um discussed different uh you know, different aspects of complementarianism and why we've criticized complementarianism as a structure, as a system, uh, because it is a novel understanding of the roles of men and women that was built around feminism 
right? Like feminism was kind of like the heart of everything. And this was a response to that. So it was still built around it. And in part, what you see is that it doesn't actually take into account nature. Right. It doesn't take into account that actually men and women are not just different in what they're called to by God, but they're different in what they are. Right. You know, like there's actually a, a difference in nature between them. Now, like he mentioned some of the things, right? Like the, just these different aspects of literally, I mean, the things he mentioned were basically home centered right. things, right? So yeah, look, my mom was good at all these home centered things. That's good. That's yeah. a fine thing. That's, you know, no one is, is arguing that, but to say that it has nothing to do with competency. I mean, what are we talking about? Are right. we talking about, you know, it just depends, right? I mean, are are men and women actually um, fit in the exact same way for the exact same things, even just on a biological, physical account, you would have to say no. Right. So yeah, Pastor Michael is getting at what I think is the big critique and also the weakness, one of the weaknesses of the way complementarianism was defended. It was that, um, it it basically they they st- they take took their ground at defending two verses Ephesians five and First Timothy two and so then all you have are men are the head of their home in marriage and women are not to teach in the church as elders and they stuck their ground there and we are thankful they stuck their ground there because as Tim Keller said. The biblical evidence is so overwhelming that that is the only way to read those chapters. It's correct. However, then what you've you've degraded gender to it to to like two things. So yep. apparently, what it means to be the woman is not be an elder, right? That tells her nothing. And in fact, many men who aren't called to be elders, what does that tell them about masculinity, right? Um, what does it tell single people about being a man? Or woman, because certainly there is something to it for them. I think what again, what Tim, what uh, John Piper is getting at with this idea of competency, right, is he's not saying women are too dumb to be pastors, right? There are yeah. plenty of educated, um, you know, right, perfectly capable in who would have the 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 mental, educational, right, all of those kinds of faculties mm-hmm. that a man would have, right? Like, are there women that are smarter than men who are currently pastors? Of course. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was, about right. to, I was about to name names of men that I, I guarantee <laughs> we had women listeners who were smarter than, but that would be really, not, yeah. Anyways, um, I yeah, love of course, but of course, right? Like of that's course. that is obvious, and so he's right in pointing that out that we're not right. going to make the line purely based on like a utilitarian basis, right? But there aren't women who would be competent pastors if God has not called them to do so. Yes, that's what I'm saying, right? And ju- and that does that's not very controversial, right? Because it's just like saying a woman would not make a better father, yeah. Nor would a father make a better right. mother, right? I mean, I'm, it's not controversial to you and me. I guess it's not. I, yeah, <laughs> uh, we live in a wild world, Matt. <laughs> we do live in a wild world. So we'll let uh, we'll let Mr. Piper finish his answer. Man, male and female. One of my teachers at Fuller came out. He said Paul made a mistake made a mistake in 1 Timothy 2.13, and my heart just was crushed. I had no idea he stood there. I was in Germany when I read this book. I had gone three years and didn't know what they thought. And I thought, you're saying Paul made a mistake? Yes, that's what he said. I thought, well, he's gone, and he wasn't gone 
which means my seminary was gone. And so um, I was thrown into a, a, a set of controversies in the mid 70s and Alvira and Berkeley Michelson and Gilbert Bilizikian and Catherine Krager and others and the booing and the hissing of those days was really ugly. And you were obscene. Virginia Mollencott called me to my face, obscene for what I, I believed. And so I thought, okay, this is really heavy and hot. And so we, I gotta find some friends. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we're going to wave a flag. And so Wayne Grudem and I began to wave our little flag. We wrote, we edited a book called Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And we formed the gospel, I mean, uh, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which, praise God, is still in existence today. And, and so that's my pilgrimage into the restless sells flags. I'd like to wave some so we can make some friends, right? We'd like to <laughs> wave our little flag. So... Just very interesting, uh, John Piper, feeling uh, feeling the feeling the heat. It's just interesting to hear the context of where they came, where the complementarians came from. And the next clip, as I have lost my voice suddenly, is D.A. Carson giving his answer. In my own case, I was brought up in French Canada, which at the time, not today, but at the time was an extremely patriarchal society. I don't say complementarian, I say patriarchal. Um, it... Pastor Michael, we found our villain. <laughs> okay, right. You see how he set that up. Oh, I, was did. really under a form of uh, a medieval brand of Catholicism. So, so that um, even... Pastor Michael, yay nay or nuance, in Canada in the 60s, in French Canada, it was ruled by medieval <laughs> Roman Catholicism. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously I have no idea, but I've, I have a feeling that is not true. <laughs> I do have a feeling there were no inquisitors. Evangelical yeah. Christians were made to look startlingly fresh and open if they lived lives that were closer to what we would today call complementarian. It looked freeing in comparison with what we saw in the broader culture. My own parents both had been to seminary, both had studied Greek and Hebrew. My mother was a better student. Um, uh, when my mother led Bible studies for women, which I didn't normally go to, but to young people's groups and that sort of thing, which I did, uh, I always thought that she was better at actually handling the scripture in some ways than my dad was. So I had the, some of the same reflections that, that you had. That is to say, um, competence is not the fundamental criterion. But so there's D.A. Carson's story. Pastor Michael, any thoughts about, again, we're getting a, a very similar uh, a, a similar story here. What do, you, what do you think about this? It's interesting how two of the stories, right? Tim Keller's was actually pretty great. I mean, it was, right. it was pretty just straightforward. Uh, look, I saw both the arguments. I read the Bible and the Bible's clear. Um, so, you know, I guess good on Keller. For that, um, both the other two seem like it seems like there's this sense that, well, in order to defend complementarianism, I first have to disparage my father and talk about how much better my mom was than my dad in front of these women, because maybe that'll make it more palatable. Mm. And that's pretty sad. <laughs> Ouch. I mean, that's how that's it sounds. Am I wrong? That And maybe I'm just hearing that in, you know, like 
but this wasn't that long ago. I was going to say just because in the modern time, I mean, everybody just disparages dad, but no, that was common then too, right? 2014, 2015. Um, Like it sounds like you are, uh, you know, disparaging your father to make this more palatable to the women in this audience. Now it's not, you know, maybe they wouldn't see it that way, but um, I do think it's, it's weird to just talk about how much better your mom was than your dad at all of these things as the way that you learned complementarianism. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know how it helps. Hey, my dad was super incompetent, which is why we should all be complementarians and believe in men as the head of the household. <laughs> and in the church. Um, yep. So I will say, uh, we may, we may hear, we may hear about the villains of patriarchy again on this panel yeah that too right you have that clear setup of oh the bad guys patriarchy right so hey hey feminists we have the same enemy right like oh it's hey we're against the same bad guy yeah i do want to say now obviously i i don't know anything about da carson's growing up in medieval roman catholicism i'm sure it was pretty difficult with all the indulgences and the like (laughs) great crackdown on protestantism he had to suffer through but um i do know that it, one of the thing he was pointing out is actually very helpful that it's actually just very much in our postmodern 21st century. I think that's the century we're in. Um, like the world we live in makes the biblical commands on these issues sound restrictive in plenty of the world and most of human history. They were normal. There was yeah. more freedom. And it's and so it's this one of the things with it. And this is why when Pastor Michael, you described it right at the beginning, this is a reaction to feminism, but it's still kind of trying to exist in the same world. Right. Because, yeah, it, it really does. In plenty of countries still today, the the positions held by the Bible are remarkably better for women, families right there you know in in many ways right Mm -hmm. so i do think that is an important thing that even the like you just need to travel you just need to go to other places in the world to be frank like you will and you will learn that these these commands are not they're not out people aren't outraged by them right they don't have the same the same secular sensibilities so we've come to the three most important clips the last clip, the last thing they do, it feels like they somehow time traveled and stole an idea from us. They make them give 10 second hot takes right at the end, which <laughs> I really hope we have time to jump in on, uh, which means we will probably have to play our song for those 10 second hot clip takes right. if, we're, if we're able to put it on in the background. But this is where we start getting to them answering what is complementarianism? And I believe this is uh Keller answering that question. Almost interrupted you while you were talking. (laughs) Complementarianism is not a women's issue. The whole name should tell you that. It is interlocking gender roles of men and women. And men need to understand complementarianism probably more than women. We are the ones that are always dealing, well, what does submission mean? And what does that look like? And how do I live that out? And the men don't talk about it. And they're the ones I think I'd like, I would be delighted if at the next Gospel Coalition Conference there was uh, 
panel like this or a discussion like this for the men because fortunately the people on this stage have literally a hundred percent say over if that occurred in, <laughs> in, in at their next conference the men have to understand that their headship is derived from the way jesus treats the church that it's a servant headship it's not about getting the perks and the privileges and the remote and you know having everything your way as much as women have to understand that their submission looks like jesus in philippians too that it's not about being a doormat it's about bringing your gifts to the full thing so the main thing complementarian is not is it's not just a women's issue it's a church issue anybody want to add well i i would i would add actually Pastor Michael, do you want to do you want to add anything to Kathy Keller before her husband uh, jumps in? It's interesting, even in just the examples, right? Like, where does where does this go wrong? Clearly, where it goes wrong for men is this like arbitrary power. They get the remote. And clearly where it goes wrong for women is that they think, oh, I'm just a doormat. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't say or do anything. Now, do these two things happen? Sure. Sure. Sure, they happen. Um, is that the norm, Matt? Nobody like for us, remote in my house, but me. That is, <laughs> right. uh, I also just, just what a sad world that everybody <laughs>, laughs at this. Like, yeah, yeah, isn't that funny? Like it has. Like, what yeah, a horrible I, life. Like you have nothing. If you're d debating, if it even comes into the debate, who is in control of the remote? You have a horrible life, and you need to do something with it. <laughs> You need seriously. You somebody, need to do somebody, something with your life. Somebody clip that for me. I, I, <laughs> I need my pastor Michael yelling about that. I do think actually in my home, my wife begs me if we're gonna watch something to just choose. Uh, I'm like the least like committal on those kinds of things, which right. is well, why even I, that. So like, even what you say there, I. So when you hear those two things, though, again, what are the actual temptations of men and women, generally speaking? Right, they're speaking to a general audience about complementarianism. I don't think those are the the two extremes, right? I think that abdication um, and passive uh, being passive for Absolute men is a laziness. much more yep, laziness. That's a much more common um, sin, and uh, should be probably more the primary example, right? Rather than asserting authority, most of us have no idea, even in a healthy way, how to assert ourselves at all. Right. Like right. we are like we're, we we don't didn't have fathers and like men generally are just in this like wayward place, we, um, we which out of that whole wayward place, you have these, you know, false fathers uh, like Andrew Tate or others that come and right. show this kind of like, you know, wicked kind of asserting yourself. That's and right. and men are going to be like, wow, look, somebody's actually teaching me how to assert myself. So like that, you know, I'm in charge of the remote, like. You know, that maybe that was a thing for the boomers, right? Maybe it was, uh, but it, it just doesn't seem common. Um, and on the other hand, like one of the primary issues for women is not that they are passive, right? It's, it's actually that, you know, generally speaking, um, women, uh, you know, maybe not, I, I don't know if assertive is necessarily the right word on this end, um, but do like, you know, uh, try to assert themselves into places of authority that really is not their place. Mm. Um, like that's within a feminist culture. Of course, that's more common, mm. you know, like, yep. of course, that's the more common sins on either end. Um, yes, but it just doesn't seem like your, those are brought up a lot. Can you quick share your Twitter handle for all <laughs> complaints? 
Yes. Um, all questions can go to at Mr. Mr. Klein. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, so I do think you're right. I do think probably that example wasn't very relatable to John Piper, who, of course, famously has basically never owned a TV. But I do think let's give uh, let's let Tim Keller add into this conversation. Actually, that complementarianism is not. Oh, by the way, for some reason, they decided to frame the how to explain complementarianism is by saying what it wasn't, which just it gives me it just gives me vibes from the first time we did this. Hey, what yeah, is well, this? And text? that is what that. But <laughs> let's just say this, though, that is as a system, that is what complementarianism was developed as. We're not feminism and we're not patriarchy. That's true. That's how, like, that is what complementarianism. It's saying I'm not that and I'm not that. There is no constructive vision for what men are supposed to be and women are supposed to be and what they are to be together and in the home and in the church and in society as a whole. Uh, Well, (laughs) this isn't quite working. I'm trying to say that complementarianism can be lived out in somewhat different ways. And so I almost want to say complementarianism is not necessarily exactly like the church you came from that said we're a complementarian church, that a complementarian church in another part of the world, uh, a complementarian complementarian church in another city versus the country. uh, So start of the answer is these things are going to vary from from place to place. Um, I have seen this. Hey, but it's been if, you, if you come to my church in the city, uh, it might not. It might look like men in <laughs> ballet costumes dancing around for the offering. So just be so, careful what you think complementarianism is. He says. Michael, do you think we're going to get a we're going to get an answer of what it is? Like we asked about what is this first? <laughs> do you think we are going to get a direct statement of what is this? I guess we probably will not. We probably there, will not get it direct. Everybody's going to have to draw answer. certain lines somewhere. As soon as you say. There it is. We have to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> All right. Just tell us where. <laughs> just give us. <laughs> this is our second try, Tim Keller. <laughs> this is our second try. Um, here are the gender roles. The Bible actually leaves a, a lot unsaid about what that means so the way you live it out usually means making choices in our church men and women do this and that everybody can you tell us what this (laughs) this or that tell us where the lines are tell us what this or that is tell us what the bible doesn't leave free (laughs) on somewhere uh we need to be a little flexible with each other i i do think that complementarians tend not to they tend to say the way we do it in our church exactly the way our elders say this is how the, the gender roles work out is, is the only way. Of, you can... Is that true of complementarians? <laughs> They're just too harsh and too hard on this, you know? You know, the, the Gospel Coalition, one of the most currently mo- well, most well-funded, most viewed, most powerful complementarian organizations, I don't think could be accused of dogmatically announcing what gender roles are. <laughs> They're... They're willing to dogmatically announce there is a line, and it's it's sitting there somewhere. Just near- to be clear, so we can uh, push really hard into um, what you should do on an unsafe work site as a construction worker, but we cannot tell you the basic <laughs> do's, don'ts, this or that of complementarianism. Just one line. can be a truly complementarian 
If you're slightly looser than that, then you're really kind of a closet egalitarian. See that? You could. Ne- <laughs> you should never, ever accuse someone that. He the used way. the word. He used it. He. <laughs> There's. There is no room to ever accuse someone of being a closet egalitarian. That is a, that's one of the themes of our movement, as it were, because I I want you the to bane. <laughs> the bane. Uh, I almost tried to do a Bane impression, but everyone will be thankful I didn't. So I want to say complementarianism is not necessarily exactly like the last church you were in. Uh, there are more than you can. You can believe the basic principle. It makes us complementarian. And yet different temperaments, different cultures, even different ways of uh, working can be can be utilized. So there's a variety. But let me push you on that, though. Let me push you just the same. Be as flexible as you like. But at some point, if it's all spectrum, where do you cross the line? So D.A. Carson, unlike unlike last time, he's decided on this panel, Tim Keller, you are going to answer this question for for these wonderful women in the audience who who've paid their money. They've come this way. Line so that you're not complimentary anymore. Oh, well, at the, OK, certainly when we say, uh, dude, I love- <laughs> I love I love the reg- the regret that Tim Keller feels. Um, <laughs> there to even say there are some things in the church that a woman beca- who embraces her role cannot do. We're gonna get it. Frankly, even if you say that, I, I think you're a complementarian. Even if you haven't defined what that is. Now I would <laughs> rather say women shouldn't be <laughs> I didn't realize it was there. <laughs> so if you say there is anything a woman who's a member of your church cannot do, you are a complementarian. And- Interesting. Well, even that, again, <laughs> negative vision, right? Like, ne- like it's Correct. all negative. It's all just don't, right? Don't do this. And this is one of the things we pointed out about complementarianism is that because it just draws this arbitrary line, Hey, men and women, they're basically the same. They can have the same giftings. It, it all kind of works out the same. But here's this line at the pulpit. Here's this line at the home. And that's like you can't cross those. But there's no there's no like intrinsic reason outside of the pure biblicist. It says not to do that. And that's a good reason. Right. Yeah. I mean, to have the text again, God bless them for that, for keeping, you know, that much of it. Uh, but to say that there's not more to it. Right. Yeah. That actually God has designed the world to have both men and women who are different and are made with these different ends in mind. Like that, that is without that, what you're saying sounds completely arbitrary. We haven't gotten the clarity though that you just articulated. So um my notes say there's 30 more seconds of Tim Keller talking about this before they move on. So let's let's find out. Uh pastors or elders, though I do recognize that. There might be parts of the world in which you have churches that don't have elders. And then, okay, talk to me. How do we still maintain the idea that there are some things that Paul's forbidding something? Yes. That's, I knew yes, my wife's yes, going to say yes. this. <laughs> Paul's forbidding. It's what he said in the other video. <laughs> and, and apparently, Kathy Keller was tapping his arm to say, Paul forbids something. As like, <laughs> oh, man. Kathy Keller might be better on this panel. <laughs> doing the like, she might be more something. The something woman something has to be obeyed, right? 
as we long as long it. as you say that there's something women can't do in the church uh, as her way of embracing uh, her role, then I think you're a complementarian, even if we can't always agree on exactly how many things that that you know that is in the church and the. By the way, um, by the way, Kathy Keller guffawed at the end of his answer. She <laughs> left. So, so anyone who wants to who wants to say I shouldn't be laughing, um, I um. We're just I, taking I, our cues from Kathy Keller. Yes. Um, yeah, it's the same answer that we got in the other video. Right. That they're like, yeah, well, there's something to be obeyed. Okay. What, you know, and he did say, so he did say, you know, they should not be pastors or elders. Ah, but some churches don't have those. So <laughs> that, was, that was the weird, that was the weird, he backed off that real hard. <laughs> in a weird way because i think i i feel comfortable saying i i would like to draw a line and say that churches should have pastors and elders by the way just as let me just keep drawing <laughs> willy-nilly lines we are throughout. glad to draw more lines here at restless including that one yes. you should have pastors and elders so my next clip here is um and so we we want to give this uh the the whole um panel you know we want to we want to review them in fairness my next clip is called um j pipe batting cleanup on aisle five so uh i think uh john piper might return to tim keller's comments and uh and seek to to provide some more more clarity the king of the universe i want to make sure tim what he said doesn't get sound bited out there as a by the way, sorry. Uh, John. <laughs> oh, oh, it has. <laughs> we just we have done well actually off of soundbiting it. <laughs> also, for the record, the Gospel Coalition soundbites that in yeah. the other video, right? Yeah. With when both he and Carson both say that same thing. Yep, there's something to be obeyed here. This went over so well on this panel. They created <laughs> a three-minute video to get that point across. Finding characteristic of T. TGC, because you said, <laughs> if someone believes there is something a woman can't do in church, he's a complementarian. That's not good. Well. <laughs> because, <laughs> good for you, John Piper. Also, this is why John Piper did get the most heat out of all of these guys on this issue, because Tim Keller was training up egalitarian pastor pastoresses. I don't, I don't know how you want to say it. Fem he was training up women who went out and became like female pastors and like we're saying yeah like he was like my inspiration in this um and john piper was getting yelled at because he said things like women shouldn't be police officers women shouldn't be in the draft women shouldn't be fighting in the military uh like right. he was drawing the lines you know so right. i want to give credit where credit is due right and and again like yeah good for john piper deciding and that's again why i include this clip because i don't want it to sound like I don't want it to sound like the D.A. Carson clip that we did two years ago where nobody nobody says anything. But again, part of the problem, even with John Piper and, you know, like John Piper, right, saying things like men should open doors, right? He would make these kinds of statements. And I might agree with a number of them. But again, when you don't have an under like if if the concept of complementarianism I have is these two verses yes. and then you're like and oh, they can't be police officers. Why? Yeah, it felt arbitrary and weird. It was yep. arbitrary. And and obviously, I think it is part of why, um, yeah, part of why the, the complementarian consensus has certainly been breaking down. Because she might not be allowed to be the janitor. Well, no, or she might not be allowed to whatever. Paul's, 
Tim could be, <laughs> Tim could be saying something that could be taken too restrictively. I guess is the... forbidden, forbidding something. I I see what you're going. Go ahead. So I think we do need to be more precise, namely to go with in the home. You got this headship and submission piece, and in the church, eldership, and we're all submitting men and women to to the elders. And so that's the that's the dynamic. There are these two structural roles that complementarians say are essential for joy in the home and in the church. And what I would say it's not is to take those two and say something about them to prevent um, caricature. So headship should be spoken of more in terms of the burden of responsibility, not the right of power, because that's the accent of Ephesians 5.25. Love is Christ, love the church. So whenever we're talking to the men and and I think maybe more discussion is happening than, than you say oh, well, among, I'm not at the men's conferences, among so I don't know. men because I told John Piper is right, by the way, yes. I, <laughs> he's, he's very, very right about that. It's 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 hard to count how many times uh, as a as a lowly man, I may have heard a description of of the need to um, how would you uh, to to bear the burden of responsibility. Totally agree that this is mainly a men's issue. If men did what they ought to do the way they ought to do it, I think women by and large would flourish. So that's totally there. Then, then the qualification on the, on the submission side is to use language that um, says, my, if a woman says, we mean by submit, which I probably will get to, I would say it means you're really happy when your husband leads well. I say, oh, <laughs> so Pastor Michael, how do you feel about John Piper's answers as to so again, credit to John Piper. He has decided I'm staking out a here's what here is. I'm willing to make statements yep. on what these mean. Right. Bring a little bit of clarity. Um, you notice again and now, OK, let's say they are speaking to a conference of women, right? Like they're right. speaking to a room full of women. Yep. Um, and that for men is a weird experience. And so yep. the way they're talking is, you know, very likely going to be, you know, filtered through some kind of, okay, I want to be extra, you know, kind. I want to be extra gentle. Um, I'm not going to do quite what I do maybe all the time. Um, but you still notice, even in what he just said, what you have is all of the onus being on men and women are like actually the command for them to submit is just they're happy right do you notice that so um in other words uh, men you might sin by not doing what you're supposed to do so you need to do this here's what obedience looks like women just like enjoy things like just be happy but what does that do all of a sudden that says Hey, if you're not happy in your home, mm -hmm. your husband is doing something wrong. Sure. But yeah. he might not be, right? And here's the problem with that. It's not that that doesn't happen. Of course that happens. But uh, the part of the problem is that the messaging from the world, by and large, is women, if you are not happy, then something is wrong with everyone else around you. 
right? And so you need to change your setting. You need to leave your marriage. You need to, uh, you know, uh, do something, right? Somebody has to do something for you. Right. And, and then what, like when you have that background, right? You've grown up watching Disney movies. You've grown up with the world saying you are like, your whole role is to be happy. And when you're not, it means that everybody else is some kind of a problem, especially men. Then you hear that from John Piper. That didn't change anything, right? That was not a command from scripture to submit to your husband as to the Lord, right? It doesn't just mean be happy. In fact, it's going to mean there are going to be times that you're not happy because you think that your husband is making the wrong decision. Right. And as long as that is not a sinful decision, right? As long as it is not a, a decision that is causing you to sin or bringing harm in some way, right? To you, your kids, then you submit to it, mm. right? And, and that, like, that's maybe going to be extremely hard. I don't know any woman, women who are happy, right? Flourishing. I can guarantee you could ask my wife, who would say she is very happy, right? She's, she is happy in the home that we have together. We have a great life. We don't just fight over the remote, you know, let, let's put it that way. Like we have a great life. But if I was to ask her, Hey, have you been happy with every decision I've ever made? Right. She's not going to say yes. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's just an absurd thing to say that submission means you have to be happy. Right? right. Just being happy with what your husband does, because you won't always be this. And this is the new this is actually the new example that I've begun using uh, with this. The same word for wives to submit to their husbands is the same word Paul uses for the general command of Christians to submit to the government. And I will tell you what, as a as a person who has been called by God to submit to the ruling authorities, I do not <laughs> I do not always enjoy that. <laughs> Because men, women, and children do not enjoy submission. I mean, I I, I don't know Always, how. right? And now but, it can, right? It can be a joyful, wonderful thing. There right? are, Especially when things are in harmony, it can be a joyful and wonderful thing. It's just not always going to be that. That's right. I obviously it's, That hope, just can't be the standard of whether or not you are actually submitting. I obviously hope for everyone listening, your home is in a better state than our country, right? Like, because, you know, <laughs> right, it, right that, but I do think, right, you know, if this means something, right, it means submission costs something. And obviously, right, the reason where we talk about Christ giving up himself is because of the so many times where he corrects the apostles who think about leadership. And he says, you don't lead like the Gentiles do. You don't lord it over them. You serve, right? Like that Jesus's whole thing is leadership costs something. Right. And maybe costs more. But it is it just is so it's just a weird again. They, they are speaking to women. I, I can. I can I can definitely appreciate John Piper is trying to win them over. Right. He's trying to say, I'm laying out the path of happiness for you. The problem is that. Man, I just feel like that rhetorical move. We have tried it in America for so long. Yep. This is the way you're going to love it. Come on into the Reformed Church. Come yep. on into conservative Protestantism. Come on in. You're going to love it. And also, by the way, the way that he frames it is also it's it's not just um, not just in a limited way, but 
just totally, he says, I think all of this would be solved if men were doing their job. Right. Right. Which is to say women don't sin in this way. Right. Women right. like feminism, it's 100% on men. I will agree that because men are the head, generally speaking, women do follow, right? Generally sure. speaking. But also women sin. Like men, women also sin, right? Yeah. To remove that agency from women as if they're just this like nothing thing, right? No, they have a will. They also can choose to sin even when they're in a perfectly fine situation that right. is not causing them to do something wrong. And so it just removes, it, it belittles women. It right. really does. It belittles women and it puts men in a situation where they're told, hey, you have to do all of this stuff. It's going to be extremely taxing and difficult. And if your wife isn't happy, it means that you're just doing a bad job and there's nothing in this for you, right? Like there's no glory. Why did Christ submit to the father and die and, and take for himself a bride, the church, for the glory that was set before him? Right. Like this, too, yeah. is what we are supposed to be motivated by in marriage, in the home. Right. What's the glory? Where is the glory that comes from that? What they're describing is not a situation that will lead to any glory for a man. Mm -hmm. It is fascinating how, as I think about this, how much the story of the fall goes into pointing out how they are, how the 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 different ways they both are at fault. Right. Even though yep. Adam is is held as the federal head of humanity, ultimately yep. responsible, the Bible is is brutally clear. Right. Again, we often even talk about the fall in this way, like Adam was supposed to be there to kill the serpent. And and again, I do think I think women do really have agency. Women do a, a man or a woman can just as easily destroy their home. And obviously, yeah. because we know we live in an actual, not hypothetical world, the real world is typically full of people who are both some at fault, right? Like, that's just how it is. Yeah. Almost, even if right. one of them, even if we're in a very clear-cut case where someone is very clearly in the wrong, both people probably have some degree of, um, you know, some culpability. But yeah, mm -hmm. I do think it is important. So, Pastor Michael, we are now going, we've got two clips I want to play uh, through. Um, and then we've got the uh, the exegetical hot takes, which I I am so I'm so looking forward to. So this is the panel's opinion of patriarchy. Patriarchalism. In fact, this group knows something of the history of where the term complementarianism was coined. Do you want to unpack that a bit? Because you were part of that. Well, I don't remember who coined it, but it did come out of the milieu of those controversial days. And the aim was to find a, a positive, uh, rich, robust word between the abuses of tradition, the abuses. Robust TM John Piper every time he <laughs> speaks. Of heavy handed patriarchal uh, male dominance on one side and the uh, gender leveling egalitarian emphases on the other side. We, we looked at those and said, that's not who we are. And what I discovered in those days is that all the writers that were attacking me were attacking that. And I think myself what they were saying. It was the fallacy of the excluded middle. So the middle, we were saying, don't lose the distinctions and 
don't lose the distinctions, egalitarianism of here, and don't go to the abuses. In fact, I think that's the way Ephesians is crafted, because when Adam and Eve fell, they fell into the abuses of their roles. And women became either manipulative or dorm doormats, and men became either passive or domineering. And in the New Testament, the errors of, of both of those were corrected with a, a thing in the middle, which we finally landed on complementarian. So that is John Piper explaining, I think, again, very helpfully and importantly for people to understand exactly where the term complementarianism uh, came from. So, Pastor Michael, what do you what do you uh, do you think about um, this? The excluded middle, which is the Bible, forbids something somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. So, again, we've covered. Uh, I don't know that there's anything more that I can say on that that we didn't already say. That clearly, this is a new kind of conception of the way things should be, in response to feminism and in a very particular time in history, right? When I, like the way that he describes the way everything has been up until now, right? Like the way, you know, pa so patriarchy, by the way, like what, what they would describe as patriarchy has been the way things are always until, you know, uh, especially um, in the industrial era. Right, like the the twentieth, twenty first century, um, following uh, the the leveling effects of technology and the removal of the home as the primary um, economic and social engine of society, like that. In doing those things, we are now in a very peculiar time in history that is not like almost any other time before us. Um, now, there are obviously, you know, people are the same in many ways. Sins are the same in certain ways. But we are in a peculiar time. Um, so, like, I mean, you could go to somebody in the, you know, 1800s, and they very possibly, especially if they were poor, um, and they were, like, say, like a poor farmer, they're probably living much the same way that people have lived for a thousand years. Yeah, like they're just they're just living in a very kind of typical way uh, from what has gone before, and so yeah. um, like things have changed drastically, and it's from that vantage point, that peculiar place, that now he just said we like we don't want to be like these traditions, right? We don't want to be like the way things have always been. In other words, we want something else, but also we don't want feminism, mm -hmm. but. What you're doing is you're starting with basically the same presuppositions. You don't realize it yet, but you're starting with the same kind of you're, – you're starting from the same vantage point of feminism to judge what has come before. Mm. And yeah. so like you're using the same arguments against something that you're calling patriarchy, right? Well, because of the abuses. Mm. Well, I mean everything has abuses. Okay, so was it all abuse? Was it abuse from like – Always, every time, every family that ever operated where the father was the head, was that always abusive? Was it always abusive before women could vote in a democracy? Like, was that, was it always, that was always wrong in every case? 
because that's what it sounds like. That's just like the vantage point that you're standing in and then condemning what has come before. And so the, the issue with that is not that there weren't abuses at times. The issue is that you are sharing the presuppositions of what you recognize is wrong, but you're not actually seeing that you have those same presuppositions, those same, uh, you know, presuppositions that ultimately end in a kind of androgyny, right? Mm -hmm. Men and women are the same. This is like, it, this is why someone like, you know, maybe an Amy Bird who's on, you know, mortification of spin. It's like, hey, we're a really conservative, reformed podcast. Can say things like, of course, men and women should be police officers and it just matters if they're good at their job. And everybody there was just like, yeah, right. You know, but like she's carried on the same trajectory, right? She hasn't, like, that's just where you end up is where she has now uh, gone preaching on Sundays, things like that. Um, Like, I think that what's going on here is actually, it's still a problem in that uh, you're not recognizing that you have the same presuppositions. You're just not willing to take the, the next step into that androgyny, but you have the same presuppositions. And that's actually what, what our problem is in many ways with complementarianism is that you're sharing those presuppositions. Right. We don't have a problem with you calling out abuses where there are abuses, right? but you're calling them out from the same vantage point of what is itself an abuse. And, and neither do we have the problem with the term complementarian in as far as it's supposed to point out the harmony of two different, the two different, the gender binary working yeah. together. So right. um, the other thing I think is interesting when we think about this term patriarchy, by the way, I have no um, particular like need for that English term. It is interesting. I was just, I was just reading, I was having to read my summary, a book by a very well-known complementarianism, Andreas Kostenberger, his book, marriage and the family which by the way is a great book in case anyone's wondering um and wants to think about um kind of ethics issues and relate in relation to the family he actually you know he suggests that basically because of the baggage that has come with the term for patriarchy that he says actually if we look at the ancient world and their home he says and even their society said it was like he describes it what is the word he uses i should have looked this up before i sat down it's he uses like patrocentrism. So it's not that the dad just always got his way and like just had his foot down. It's just that the world, their family revolved around him. So everyone was involved in the things he was doing and they were, do, but they were doing like, if he was a farmer, then everyone is going to yep. listen and do farming things, right? They're going to all be involved. They're all going to be going in the direction he is. Mm-hmm. And that similarly, the men who led their communities, you know, religious groups, that he's he's saying that again he's not trying to get rid of the idea of of their leadership their rule but he's he's trying to help again unload some of the language um Mm -hmm. and i think that that's helpful but here's the here's the the question i have with the term for patriarchy so obviously that is like it is a truly villainized term and it's much more so now in 2023 than it was in 2014 when this panel occurred but here's the question. When you go to someone's house or you drive by their house or you see their bumper sticker and they have a thing that says fight the patriarchy, does that mean 
fight abuses in male leadership or fight abusive male leaders. Is that what it means? No, I think everyone right. knows the answer is no, right? No, it doesn't mean not. that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, maybe you have a good idea. What do you, what would your, I mean, do they just mean like destroy? I mean, you, you think of maybe a better answer, but my answer is basically it means destroy Western civilization. It basically. does. Right. Yeah. Western civilization and like specifically the Christian elements of Western civilization. Sure. Right. I mean, it, like, uh, Christianity as a whole is a part of the patriarchy, right? Western, right. Western literature, right? That like the foundations yeah. of, of our justice system, all of these sorts of things. These are all the patriarchy that all need to come down. Um, right. And it's not usually right. A, a lot of these people wouldn't be able to outright just define it. Right. But they will just call all of these things a part of that patriarchy, Yes, which what you're pointing out shows like the problem with Oh, they're talking about something else. No, they are talking about you, John Piper. Correct. And <laughs> but the but what you don't understand is they're actually also playing a shell game. When you go, really, you you want to destroy everything? They're like, oh, so you support Andrew Tate, huh? Oh, right. you think, you think <laughs> Donald Trump is an honorable husband? And it's like, well, no, I was just I was just wondering why we had to like remove so many white men from our seminary education like why you're trying to replace using calvin's institutes with something else and it's like well right because it's the shell game so whenever it's opposed we bring up the abusive examples or we bring up um the abhorrent immoral parts of plato right that that was you know canonized in greek culture you know um and whatever and it's a shell game and i think that is that's i don't know sorry for anyone listening i hope that was worth the price of admission here on valentine's day because for me that was a helpful thing uh to realize so pastor michael we um who are no respecter of persons um pastor michael who's practical we are no respecter of all the valentine's day things and so i wanted to play one more clip before we get to our hot takes here where they ask why does complementarianism matter to single people now i think it's an interesting question i do not remember how they answer this question because if you basically limit it to marriage and leadership in the church it actually kind of doesn't it also tells me that probably a huge amount of their audience are single women right like that i i I assume they would know that and and why so i think this is where this answer starts if not i apologize that question that you gave us earlier, I came at it a little different way. So let me just say a word here that might be relevant. Why, why would why would the single women here bother themselves with this if complementarianism is mainly experienced in the marriage? And, and one, uh, you don't become a complementarian on the day that you're married. And therefore, if... Is, again, this is the weird, the weird thing. Okay, maybe complementarianism is um, experienced mostly in marriage, but but again, this is it's just so impoverished. Then your gender doesn't start to matter once you get married. And obviously, what John Piper is trying to get at is women don't, in general, just submit to the men they know, right? The you know, like that they don't function in a marriage relationship with men. But I don't know. It's just a weird, impoverished uh, understanding, again, of gender. 
Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear where he goes with this, but I've, I've got thoughts on that. <laughs> marriage might be in the future. It'd be good to know what you are before you get there. Number two, um, the dance of men and women in the workplace and in the church is not just like a bunch of guys and a bunch of gals. It is unique. Thank you. And how that, that rhythm is played out matters what you think about roles. And third, the wider culture is, is this is just a huge issue and you're in that culture and you need to know what you think. Should women be on the front lines in combat? That's going to flow out of your convictions about this kind of issue. And lastly, you're all, you all should be church members and you should care about who leads your church. So this is an issue that everybody in this culture who is a Christian must come to terms with, single or married. All right, let me change gears. We're going to take yeah. two or three so minutes. He does. I mean, in the end, he does do yeah, he what does. you said he was going to do. Um, it actually it does really only relate to marriage. And now he said something weird about the workplace, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, what? But what? Why is it? He he said it affects the workplace, but it was just kind of weird. In what way? Like, what's he saying? Yeah, I don't know. Dance the dance. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we you don't. Were, we don't. In a workplace that felt like a dance of men and women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, so, but generally <laughs> speaking, he did say, and, and then he drew that other line, right? Okay, no women on the front lines of of battle. Why? There's like, is there a direct verse about that? There, I mean, there's a bit of a verse about it, but uh, it's not the typical complementarian verse. Mm. And so, why? Like, what if if it this does revolve now? Here is why I think it's okay to to show how these things um, work out in the home and then in the church, like primarily. Mm is because where you see the distinction, where you see sure. the the difference as well as those ways that these differences are harmonized into something that is glorious, it that is most clearly seen in the home, yeah. right? In marriage, in having children, right? In roles of as father, mother. So that happens in the home. And the church is a household of God, right? It's ruled by fathers, by church fathers. But this, this is what elders really are supposed to be. We are brothers and sisters. You're supposed to uh, treat older women as mothers, older fa- older men as fathers, um, younger women as sisters, younger men as brothers. And so um, this also is a family, right? So uh, a kind of family. It's not quite, it's not the same, but it is uh, in, a, in a sense a family, the household of God. And so that it, these things are made most clear in a sense in those places, I think. Yeah. Um, or, like the the fullest, maybe you could say the fullest expression is seen in those places, right? In the the fullest expression of masculinity and femininity is shown forth in marriage, in the fruit of the marriage bed, in the roles of mothers and fathers. Now, you know what you could say, you because complementarianism focuses on husband wife and pastors, not pastors. It's really, you know, kind of the focus. Um, you lose the role of father, right? Father does not, um, does not play 
a significant role in that framework. Not that, not that it doesn't matter, but even when I think back over reading uh, the complementarian books that I've read, being a father versus being a mother does not play a massive role in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but that's but that's huge, right? If you're thinking about how you as a single person are to relate um, to this idea of the roles of men and women, well, part of that is how you relate to your mother and your father. And obviously, we live in a time when not everybody has that. It's it it is a bit of a mess, um, admittedly, but like that, you're missing that element, right? You're missing that piece. Um, and this is actually where, you know, an idea of, you know, patriarchy or uh, patrocentrism or something like that, right? Actually, the focus is the father. The father is kind of at the center of all of it. Um, and then everything else is seen in light of that relationship. Right. Yes. So what I, right, what I like about this, this, this second one a lot more is again i don't disagree like you i you you should not marry someone who has not thought through how the biblical commands on how the home is supposed to work totally true it was also very intellectual right it wasn't like hey you can live as a woman right now this is i mean this is again sorry you know sorry reform guys this is again they were all intellectual answers they were all like you know this way yep but what I like um, in especially the second case of what you're saying is what actual human life is about is finding your place in the world and living there, right? Like that seems to be what Paul says to do in societies, to try and find what you're supposed to do as a man, woman, child, citizen, father, mother, and live that out quietly in to the glory of Christ. Your job is to find your place in it, right? And that can happen. And because th- this is, again, while, of course, um, the, the fullness of men and women are found most in, um, in marriage, because, again, it's two, it's the gender binary coming together to be one flesh, right? To be the picture of Christ in the church. This is the mystery. However, marriage passes away. There are people who will listen to this who will never be married. May not be, it's obviously not the majority. That's a vast minority of people. Um, but you can truly find your place as a man or as a woman in the world God has made and rules without marriage. And, and then we all will do so in glory. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so again, I just think that, yes, I want, I want more about finding my place Hmm. as a father, as a husband, as a citizen, as a church member, than I do about, you know, make sure you make sure you're getting you know the these li- the, the lines right draw the line make sure you've drawn the line somewhere no make sure you have the right vocation mm-hmm. that's what you should do right make sure your vocation aligns with who god has made you to be as a man that's or a woman right. and then also right it flows out from there right how you interact 
with other men or other women, how you dress, how you carry yourself, um, the, the characteristics that you want to be cultivating, the relationships and how you cultivate those relationships. All of these, the scripture speaks to and nature itself teaches us something about. And, and it's different for men and women. And yep. like you can, and you can do that. <laughs> now, admittedly, it's hard in an androgynous society um, where those distinctions, like there has been an active push to remove those distinctions or to, you know, denigrate certain aspects of those distinctions. Um, it, it may be difficult, but it is doable. You can do it and you can live that way right now. Today, you can begin to live more like God has made you to be as either a man or as a woman. And that, if you aren't married, is what will make you a better spouse than actually have having yes. and, and obviously guided by the scripture, right? You will be guided by what Paul says men and women are, what they're to do in marriage. But you will be far more you again, this is why uh knowing the two lines in these verses doesn't make you know, I'm gonna play that doesn't make you a more competent husband or wife. Right. It it what does is having molded yourself according to what God has made you to be. So, Pastor Michael, it's it's a joy for me because we have finally come to a beautiful time, which is Don Carson, before we ever knew we were going to have a podcast, bringing us exegetical hot takes. And by the way, if my children get loud, uh, sometimes when we clean up the house, we do it to this song because there's like two lyrics <laughs> and it's high energy and it's an hour long loop but here we go pastor michael let's see how this video feels with this great background music each one you could take half an hour to respond to i want no you can't you have 10 seconds 12 second responses that sort of thing all right john piper has never given a 12 second response to anything by the way just so everyone <laughs> i can't that. hear the pump it up music you got to crank it up you got to pump it up matt possible but uh nevertheless here we go what does say through childbearing mean pastor michael what does <laughs> childbearing mean do you want to give us oh, your hot take boy my hot take oh it relates to the central purpose of women and particularly points to the birth of the savior but it does mean more than that. I can't go. I can't do a hot, quick take on that one, though. Ooh, maybe it's so maybe. central to everything. It connects to everything, start to finish. It connects to Genesis. It connects to Revelation. It's so central, and it connects to your life too. It's not just some esoteric thing for you too. It will connect. Paul, <laughs> dude, Kathy Keller was ready. Is going back to Genesis. He talks about women and men's roles. He goes back to Genesis. He thinks about the promise to Eve. You screwed up, but through you, the Savior is going to come and going to save the whole world. I actually checked this with Vern Poitras, the New Testament professor at Westminster Seminary, when I had to teach on this once. He said that is one of the millions of many interpretations of that verse, but it's an acceptable one, and that's the one that I have gone with, that he's... <laughs> That Paul is just thinking back to Genesis, okay? A woman, not that you're saved through having children, but that Eve, by having a child who had a child who had a child who was eventually going to be the Messiah. You're over 12 seconds. Bing. I actually like that interpretation, but I also like the interpretation that takes um, the childbearing as a kind of uh, representation of what is distinctly uh, female, what is distinct about a woman, good. Uh, and saying that uh, womanness, if you embrace that, that's part of your 
um, living out your faith and your salvation. That's the matrix in which you're saved. Mm -hmm. Well, that's two interpretations. All right, Pastor Michael, what did you think of the two answers? Pretty good, actually. I was was impressed, actually. I was impressed with the answer. Yeah, again, um, for whatever reason, more willing to fire off like very direct answers to uh, one of the more difficult things. If people want us to walk through the uh, various interpretive options for that verse, perhaps we will sometime. Um, Certainly, uh, that sounds like a good purely Presbyterian program, at least. Um, All right, let's get the next one and we'll get Pastor Michael's hot take on it. Interpretations then. All right. What does submit to one another? Why is or is that not perfectly reciprocal? Oh, Pastor Michael. We just did this. Go back to our Andy Stanley video. (laughs) Yeah, but give us give us your 10 second summary of that Andy Stanley video. So you are to submit to one another out of the Lord. And what that looks like is obeying God in the way that he uh, calls you to obey as a man or a woman in marriage, that's going to look like wives submitting to your husbands and everything as to the Lord husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, washing her in the word and so on and so forth. Has anybody ever heard of a heading over a topic that then has many subtopics? Based Kathy Keller. That is the way (laughs) to answer that question. (laughs) Hashtag based Kathy Kelly. That was that was the main comeback when you turn to Ephesians five. It begins to be subject to one another, and they said, "So there you are. That's not complementarianism. That's total mutuality." And my answer was, "Just read the next verse, um, head and and submission." So my way of handling it, and there's another way. Wayne and Grudem and I don't go the same direction on this. Is to say. There is a way that a husband submits to a wife. Namely, he dies for her, but he's doing it in leadership. So I remember the Michelson. Boo. Should yeah, just, that's <laughs> just like that's that. not the right way. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what no way Wayne's way of handling that question is, but I am certain it's superior to what that was just said. Um, that was why. Why? Why, <laughs> Pastor John? I don't know why. I don't know why you fight against this idea that it's mutual submission and then say, but there is definitely a way they're going to submit. <laughs> no, because guess what? I'm sorry, John Piper. You're about to fall to the same problem Andy Stanley did. When Jesus Christ died for the church, he's not submitting to the church. Yep. I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't know why <laughs> Paul's direct answer doesn't guide us here. Just throw Luke 22 in my face. Like there he is on the floor washing the disciples' feet. That's that's submission. I say, right. And nobody in that room doubted who the leader was at that moment. Wrong. It's not submission. It's service. Yes, that is different. Okay. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't, I'm not smart. I'm not smarter than John Piper. I didn't study in Germany, right? I didn't go to, you know, I didn't start the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I don't know why these things are not apparent. I don't know why. Because he's right. That is service. Jesus, if there, if someone says, well, look at Jesus on his knees, you know, is this what you're talking about? And I'd say, yes, 
because as John Piper said, no one in the room wondered who was in charge. Can you imagine how humbling it would be to have the person you know as the Messiah and you probably now understand is the son of God say, I'm going to wash your feet. Yeah. Can you like that? Just it, you know, you understand how lowering if he's doing this, where that sends me right. The, the depths to which that lowers me is completely different. So, yeah. That, that is servant submission. So we, there is a mutuality. I mean, to, for you to take that responsibility against your nature, and it's against every man's nature to say he's sorry first. Every man's nature to go ahead. Go. This was his 12-second answer to something Kathy Keller answered in five seconds, by the way. This is... Go ahead. <laughs> and because he knows it's her fault. <laughs> On that cheerful note, we'll press on to the last one. Yeah, I, thanks, thanks, Don. Like, it was time to move. <laughs> Don was getting lost in how he was answering this question. <laughs> I, I don't know where he was going. John right. Piper has no regrets. John Piper has no regrets and had no idea how to answer that question in 12 seconds. That Because, again, it's not his personality, right? He's like, I'm going to preach 10 sermons on these three verses, right? I'm going right. to take 10 hours. Um so, anyways, here we go. Last question. Even if he, whether it is or not, his responsibility is to do the absolutely counter human nature thing and initiate reconciliation in this hard. John Piper will not be stifled by Don. He, won't, he won't stop. <laughs> everyone's like, please get this guy to stop. I know. I know. Everyone's like, Tim Keller's like, well, I didn't give the least clear answer on the panel. Now that's <laughs> been topped. You must do it over and over. What does it mean to keep silent in the church? Here we go. All right, Pastor Michael, what does it mean to keep silent in the church? This is a this is another passage we've jumped to. First Corinthians. Now, are we jumping there? I mean, so is that, oh. or is it just where you know she is to remain quiet? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Timothy yeah. It, it could be. It, I mean, it could be either. I think, I think um, it's going to be second. First Timothy two. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. She must remain silent in the church. Yep, she must remain quiet or silent. It could be, I mean, it could be in 1 Corinthians as well. But in either way, you have, you know, certain aspects of the gathered church um, that are set aside, or certain, certain rules of authority amongst the gathered church that are set aside clearly for men. And so when he, you know, says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, clearly he's talking about teaching in this gathered setting, and she is to remain quiet, right? So she, in other words, she is not to teach. She is supposed to uh, receive that. Right. Yeah. So um, the verse that I thought it meant in 1 Corinthians, I'm just going to read it, is 1 Corinthians 14, 34, as in all... Yep. As in all the churches of the saints, women should keep silent or quiet in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in the church. By the way, uh, we will be interested to how they handle this, but man, so much of the, comp, uh, the egalitarian defenses fall apart here. One, Paul says, this is what is done in all the churches. All the churches. 
This isn't yep. what they need in Ephesus because of the cult of Artemis or whatever. Yep. And then he says, why should they do this? Because that's what the law says, as is the written law in the law. Fascinating. So here we go. Um, and obviously he is grounding it in the women in the church are not supposed to do something the husbands are the husbands of their husbands would be allowed to do. Well, it doesn't mean that she can't pray with her head covered. It doesn't mean she can't prophesy with her head covered. Right. So that's chapter 11. You quoted chapter 14. So that, that's where contextual exegesis matters. You get to chapter 14, let her ask her, her husband what, what's going on there. And your interpretation, I like, is that that's probably referring something to the authoritative discussion of the prophetic meanings that right. have just emerged at that moment. At that moment, it's more fitting that the men tackle this issue than the women because she's she's back in chapter 11, supposed to have some symbol of authority, some culturally appropriate evidence of her submission when she opens her mouth and prays or prophesies in the church. So it can't mean she can't pray and she can't prophesy. In other words, this uh, discussion cannot go on on a mere proof texting basis. My father used to teach me when I was a boy, a text without a context becomes a pretext for a proof text. But what did your mom say, Don Carson? <laughs> That's what we really need to know because she was smarter, evidently. She had, better, she had an even better line. Last word. No, I was just going to say, we're following James Hurley there, by the way. Yes. And uh, uh, he originally no. wrote that up. In Last word, Tim Keller. No. <laughs> That's great. In a Westminster Theological <laughs> Journal article before the, before everything else, back in the late 70s. Right. Very, very helpful. Basically, women should keep silent when the prophets are being judged. Because I'm that's sure what, the elders. That's when we're just essentially we're doing what ordained people do, which is determining the doctrine of the church. And therefore, it's not saying that every single time there's a, a gathering, they can't pray, they can't say anything. All right. We're two or three minutes uh, over. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer. Then we have a 15-minute break, and we'll start with a second panel. So, Pastor Michael, there you go. There are the three hot takes. Interesting. I do think I am pretty persuaded of basically the view that they laid out there, that this refers to um, primarily um, that this is when, in reference to the um, regarding, yeah, which would be doctri doctrinal matters, um, yeah. and so I am pretty much persuaded of that. Obviously, John Piper is right. It is not a um, it is not a complete silence. And that is because obviously there have been other cases in First Corinthians where women have been directly said to say this or do this, you know, um, yep. in, in ways that would have them have a voice in church. So, Pastor Michael. We did it. We, we did it. Celebrated. Our... I want you. To, I want you to play our message from Mark Driscoll again. I don't know that everybody heard it when you first did it. I will. Because people joined as we went, but we That's need. Right. I just want that. I I want it again before we're done. It's too good. We will do it again. <laughs> as Michael, this has been a um, a pleasure as as is normal. We hope uh, everyone who watched live, everyone who listened to this podcast, we hope it was enjoyable. We hope maybe you listened to this while you were getting ready for your date tonight, um, your big complimentarian Valentine's Day date. We hope it was, um, yeah, a, a helpful and a blessing to you. It was enjoyable for us. Pastor Michael, I think um, I've been really thinking about this. The Gospel Coalition is launching season two 
of good faith debates. Even more good faith. And we still haven't watched the original ones. And I've not seen any of them. I haven't watched <laughs> a single second. I've waited. We've waited it all forever. We need to do it. We need to get in there. And I think we need to do it as a watch party. I think, I think that'd need, be fun. I think that would be maybe the most enjoyable way to do it. And so, my friends, Pastor Michael and I will do our first good faith, good faith debate when this YouTube channel has 200 subscribers. We have over 100. So we still do need some growth. Uh, we have plenty of shows planned without the good faith debates. But we know you want them. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, you're one of the hundreds of people there. Follow the link to the YouTube channel and subscribe to this channel because that means very soon we will do our first good faith debate. And Michael, maybe we shouldn't promise this because they could all do this tomorrow and you know we're not going to record this tomorrow. Should we say we will attempt to do this at an in an evening time when we yeah i think so i think we should try to do it at a time that everybody else could watch with us try to do it on an evening we can uh enjoy it a little bit more i think we can make that happen great so we will do a the first good faith debate and perhaps right before uh when we hit 200 subscribers we will do a poll of which one we should start with because you know given there are so many and it may take us a while um, I don't know how long these are, but given that, we should let people uh, decide which one they want us to watch first. So, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I hope Valentine's Day means something to you. That's what I hope. Right? We love you all. That's right. So, we will let Pastor Mark, fake Pastor Mark, just to be clear, for anyone at Real Faith who may stumble across this, uh, I am not <laughs> I am not defaming, misrepresenting uh, this as the actual Mark Driscoll. This is a character of our making at Restless and is not liable to lawsuit because we're not stealing anything. That's this right. is fair use, I That's think. I definite, think it's fair use. Is, we're certain it's fair use. It has to be. Or we're going to have to pull this down. <laughs> Deepfake Pastor Mark here. I will turn the show over to Restless in just a second, but I wanted to take a moment and wish all of their listeners a happy Valentine's Day. If you're watching this video, would you click the like button? Or if you're listening on the podcast, written review it for them. They would really appreciate it. And anyways, just to be clear, Charlie Self is a real person. And this is not the human Mark Driscoll who lives in Arizona. This is the deepfake Pastor Mark who lives on the Restless podcast. Rate and review this show, subscribe everywhere, contact us on social media.